You are listening to an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org. All right. Now let's turn our attention to the book of Romans in chapter 15. And as we come to chapter 15 and verses 14 to 33, still looking at how God's glory is applied and expressed through the church, through believers, individually and collectively. And we are emphasizing the glory of God because, just to remind us, uh, these, these applications, these truths flow from what Paul uh, ended chapter 11 with, the statement in verse 36, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever. Amen. So what does the glory of God look like in the believer, in the church? It's very typical uh, as local churches develop uh, mission statements, vision statements, that as part of that statement, they, they say, we do what we do, X, Y, Z, for the glory of God. And that is stated because in the scriptures, that's um, why we exist, for the glory of God. But what does that mean? It's very easy for us uh, to uh, state phrases like that, but perhaps never really having thought, what, what does that mean? What does that look like? And Paul is giving to us in Romans, um, as he writes to the Romans, how the glory of God is applied in our lives. Because after all, since everything is of him and through him and to him, to him be glory forever, that, that has to flow out. in all things, and especially in the believer. So what, what does that look like? So that's what we've been marching through as we have gone through chapters 13, uh, 12, 13, and 14, and now 15, is God's glory as it is applied or expressed in the believer. And now we see this particular emphasis that God's glory is applied or expressed in service, in our service to Him individually, our service to Him collectively. But we are going to see it illustrated in the life of Paul, in the ministry and service of Paul, and by extension and application to us. But we need to see Paul in order to make the proper application. So let's begin our journey this morning as we look at this important characteristic of God's glory being expressed through us, through service. How is it that we express God's glory in service. Well, Paul talks about his life and his ministry. So let's understand that a little bit as he walks, uh, talks to the Romans. The nutshell of it all is, Paul says, my life is all about clearly proclaiming the gospel and all that that means. Now, when Paul talked about proclaiming the gospel, it wasn't limited to what we typically call the Romans wrote. So if, if that's the concept that comes to mind when we hear the word gospel and no more, then we, we have a very limited understanding of what Paul talks about when he talks about proclaiming the gospel. Because after all, the book of Romans was written to the church at Rome to explain the gospel. And it's in this book, in this letter, that we pick out uh, a few verses and build with that what we call the Romans Road. 
But as we use those verses, we don't just recite those verses and then move on. Those verses are opportunities to explain critical truths about the gospel, and so we expand on them. For instance, as the Romans road is used, we, we talk about and emphasize the fact that we're all sinners. And then we quote Romans 3.23, which says, For all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. And so we don't just, uh, hopefully we don't just throw that verse at them. We take some time to explain that. Because that's a culmination of what Paul had been talking about up to that point. And saying we all fall short of God's glory. We're, we're all sinners. And uh, then we go on to Romans 6.23. And it says, for the wages of sin is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we take time to explain that, or we ought to. So my point is simply this, is Paul proclaimed the gospel. It was a clear and a thorough explanation of these marvelous truths. Paul didn't uh, start with a, a point of view saying, now how can I take all of these marvelous truths, whittle them down to the... To, to the smallest package that I can, and then get it out there. Paul was all about thorough, complete communication of the truth that God had entrusted to him as a steward. And so when Paul talks in this section about his proclamation of the gospel, he's talking about, uh, I thoroughly explain the gospel everywhere I go. That's my call. And so all of it is about that. So now we look at Paul's purpose. So in, in chapter 14, we start with Paul's purpose, verses 14 to 16, then Paul's plan. So there's a plan that builds off the purpose, and then Paul's petition that comes to bear uh, as a result of the plan. And we'll apply each of these to us. We're just going to look at Paul's purpose this morning. So what was Paul's purpose in life? Well, he tells us as he writes to the Romans. Uh, he had a purpose toward the church in Rome relative to the gospel. So let's look at this uh, in verses uh, uh, 14 through 16. Now, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are also full of goodness, not inherent goodness, but the goodness that is ours in Christ Jesus. Filled with all knowledge. So he says, you guys have a grasp of the truth that is uh, thorough and extensive. And it became more thorough and more extensive as a result of Paul's uh, letter to the Romans. Able also to admonish one another. In order to effectively and to legitimately admonish uh, fellow believers, and that doesn't mean isolated to correction, but to help us grow. We, we need to have, it needs to be believers who have a, a good grasp of the truth, of the body of truth that God has revealed, because that's what God uses in admonishing. And he says, so, so you're able, you have this ability to admonish one another because of the fact that you are filled with goodness, you live according to the goodness that you possess in Christ Jesus, you have a good knowledge of the faith, and so you're able now to admonish one another. Nevertheless, 
I'm going to tell you where you fall short. No, that's not Paul's attitude. <laughs> Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points, reminding you. And I'm doing it because of the grace given to me by God. Well, what, what did he write? Well, it's what's in this book. So just read Romans 1 through 11. That's what Paul wrote. That, that he was filling out their knowledge and tweaking it. Because God's truth is, is uh, a commodity that God has given us that, that has to be thoroughly and correctly understood. And, and Paul did not compromise on that at all. So he says, I, I am filling in more of the knowledge to enable you to be even more effective witnesses for Christ Jesus. Verse 16, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering to the gospel of God, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. See, the gospel incorporates four great areas of truth. Five, actually. The first area of truth begins with God. That's where Romans begins. And how man turned away from God. But it begins with God. And then it moves on to the reality of man's sinfulness. Get into that in chapter 1, and it goes through chapter 3 and verse 20. And then it moves into the great truths surrounding justification. How it is that man attains a right standing with God. How, why is that necessary? How does it happen? That's what justification is about. And then the next body of truth that the gospel incorporates is sanctification. Having this standing before God and with God as righteous in Christ Jesus, now the transformation is beginning. And, and the gospel includes the message of sanctification that now that we are uh, right with God, we are to be growing in that righteousness. That's what sanctification is about, is growing in the righteousness that we possess in Christ Jesus. And then the fifth body of truth that Paul talks about is glorification. That the gospel and God's work of salvation culminates with our glorification, with these bodies being transformed glorified because God doesn't God's the salvation of God is not limited to the soul it begins there by necessity it culminates with the glorification of these bodies because to be human means that we're body soul and spirit angels are ministering what spirits humans have soul spirit but we also have body. Angels don't have that. We're unique in that way. And the redemption that God provides for us in Christ Jesus is not merely or limited to the redemption of the soul. 
By necessity, it begins there, but it culminates with the redemption of this. That's part of the gospel. Do you get what I'm driving at here? That typically when we talk about the gospel, we're thinking today in, in the context of the truths related to justification. And that's necessary. That's where it starts. That's where a person engages a right relationship with God. But the truths of the gospel encompass all of these areas. That's why Paul wrote what he wrote in Romans 1 through 11. And chapters 9, 10, and 11 is, how does all this happen? Because it's evident from what Paul had already said in chapters 1 through 9 that it's not within the capability of man in and of himself to turn from the corruption and the condemnation of sin. It requires the grace of God. It requires the work of God. And we come to faith in Christ and we come to a right relationship with God restored to Him because of His gracious, merciful, sovereign working in our lives. If God doesn't initiate work and do work within us to bring us to that point, it doesn't happen because man will never take the initiative and man can never take the initiative apart from God. So chapters 19 and 11 tell us how all that happens. So this is all the gospel. So when Paul said to the uh, believers in Rome, nevertheless, brethren, I have written you more boldly on some points. Seems to me like there's a lot of points. (laughs) Reminding you, because... I do so because of the grace of God, his enabling. This is necessary. For this reason, that I'll be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. That's, that's what, Paul's, what God's called me to. And Paul had not, had not been to Rome at this point, so his ministry to the Church of Rome was strictly by via letter and any emissaries in between. but he's ministering the gospel of God. So this great body of truth that is the gospel, Paul says, that's what I minister, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable. In order for it to be acceptable, the the whole body of truth must be communicated. Set aside by the Spirit of God. And so he had a focus on the church at Rome. Now, I find this fascinating as I look back at this whole development from the 21st century, looking back to the first century, and seeing what had, and, and we see what has happened in the church <coughs> in the ensuing centuries up to the present. Namely, that uh, the church in Rome today is a church that has embraced another gospel. And that began to happen about 400 to 500 A.D. began. It was a process. So I find it intriguing that Paul writes this most extensive letter. He chooses this body of believers. The Spirit of God led him to write this letter to this body of believers. 
And in this letter is the most extensive explanation and declaration of the gospel. Because later, this church, not the first century church, but the subsequent centuries later, became the center of another gospel. But the book of Romans gives us the clarity and the extensiveness and the power of the gospel. So thankfully, we have the letter to the church at Rome, and we don't have to depend upon the message of the present church of Rome, do we? So God was great. I got stuff falling all over the place here. I might as well just pull it out. So Paul had ministry to proclaim the gospel to the church at Rome because they needed a bit fuller understanding of the depth and extensiveness of this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And here it is. That they too then would take that message. And they did. At that point, they took this message and proclaimed it. But subsequently, took a few hundred years, but subsequently, this message became totally corrupted from the church in Rome. So Paul's purpose toward the church in Rome was to clearly proclaim the gospel. Paul's purpose, taking this circle out a little bit wider, church at Rome, believers in Rome, now as he transitioned from verse 16 through 19, Paul's purpose toward the Gentiles, because he mentions in verse 16 that uh, he is a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He understood that. Verse 17, Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God, because my ministry is taking this glorious gospel, this glorious body of truth, and I glory in Christ Jesus as it pertains to the things, the truths, the matters in relation to God. He says, that's what I glory about. Not brag about in the sense of being puffed up. But he says, that's what excites me. That's my passion. That is what I glory in. For I will not dare speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me. He says, I'm not about me talking about me. I don't want you to be impressed with me. I want you to be impressed with Christ. I want you to be impressed with what God has accomplished through me as it pertains to Jesus Christ. So I'm not actually talking about me. I'm talking about Christ. I'm talking about God and what he has done in me. Because it is this same author who said that um, I can do all things through Christ that what? Strengthens me. To the Philippians, he said that. He says, whether it's in word or deed, he says, I want you to understand that any power, any effectiveness that I have is not because of me, it's because of Christ. Yes, he's using the capabilities and, and the giftedness and the uh, 
opportunities that he has placed before me, but it is him working in me to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is him working, whether the word or deed, whatever the ministry is in communicating Christ and and our glorious God. He says, this is of God. He says, I'm just going to focus on God and don't be impressed with me because it's not about me and it's not because of me. He says, I do this for this reason. Uh, And it's fascinating to see the words here, to make the Gentiles obedient. As Americans, we don't like to be made to do anything, do we? (laughs) We don't like our government making us do things that we think they, you know, we just, that's built into, as, as I mentioned in the first hour, our DNA as Americans, it's liberty, it's freedom, it's about choice. And we live in a country and, and uh, a government that, that allows for uh, great liberty and freedom and choice and pursuing that. And, and we read this, to make the Gentiles. It wasn't like Paul was saying, I'm going to drag you kicking and screaming and I'm going to make you do something that you don't want to do. It's because of God's word, because of God's working in us that we come to a point where we desire to do God's will. But the point is, Paul says, I'm engaged in this because God's goal and God's working is to bring the Gentiles as well as the Jews to obedience. Obedience to who? God. That's key in our relationship with God is Obedience. We render obedience to God. We render obedience to Him and what He says. We don't fight Him. We shouldn't be fighting Him. That the, mess, the purpose of the ministry of the gospel is to enable us to see these grand and glorious truths in their full extent, Romans 1 through 11, and then become humbled and say, God, how can I serve you? Isn't that where Paul takes us in chapter 12? Verses 1 and 2, just look at it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's where these truths bring us as we interact with them and integrate them. It humbles the soul. So we look to God and say, Lord, how can I serve you? So the obedience. So the gospel culminates or results in building within us an attitude, a disposition of obedience to the living God. That's what these truths do. So it's important that the church, the body of believers, local and universal, understand these truths. That's why God gave them. He, he didn't give us the truths of the gospel primarily or extensively just to give us an intellectual exercise and to give us points about which to argue. They're there to bring us into an adoration of the true and living God, that there is but one God and It's the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And to become impressed with God above all else. 
bringing us to obedience. Verse 19, and mighty signs and wonders. So the, at times, Paul, God enabled Paul to do mighty signs and wonders. You don't see Paul doing a list here. But he's saying, signs, mighty signs and wonders by the hand of God. God worked through me. And Paul's not glorying in that. Paul's not trying to draw attention to himself by dwelling on that and said, here I did this and here I did this and here. Are you impressed? That you haven't done that. That you haven't... Ex no, he's saying, this, this is, it's about God and His work. He says, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum, I have fully preached what? The gospel of Christ. He said, that's what I'm about. Fully pre preaching the gospel of Christ. Now pop up that next slide, Frank, please. There we go. So I want to give you a visual. When Paul says from Jerusalem to Illyricum, this is what he's talking about. Jerusalem's down here. And uh, this whole area, this is Illyricum. So this is the western edge of what we know as Greece today. Illyricum actually is uh, getting into the area of Albania. So this, this is a, a good chunk of territory and Paul says, I have fully proclaimed the gospel in all of these areas. Now, what does that mean? I mean, did, did he go to every city and village and his team go to every city and village? No. He went to all the key population centers in this area and proclaimed the gospel. And from those population centers where believers would uh, come to faith in Christ, from there being exposed to the full message of the gospel. Because what Paul wrote to the Romans was not unique to the Romans. He did this everywhere. Paul had this extensive teaching of the gospel everywhere he went. He and his ministry team fully explained all of these marvelous truths and more. And as a responsibility then of those local assemblies in those key metropolitan areas to begin to continue to take the gospel to those metropolitan areas and then push out beyond. You see the, the plan? So Paul says, I fully proclaim the gospel in this whole region. Not that he personally went to every person, but he and his ministry team together with the local assemblies of believers, they were engaging in the proclamation of the gospel, all these glorious and wonderful truths. And, and this is a, a big, extensive area. You see this area up here? What's that say? Galatia. So th this is a whole region up here. There were a number of churches up in Galatia. And some uh, false teachers or some teachers who taught doctrine that was false, therefore they're false teachers. How you like that logic? Um, we're adding to the gospel. That's what the whole book of Galatians is about because there were those who were infecting the churches in this whole region with this addition to the gospel. And Paul came down hard on them and said, absolutely, you must not detract from the gospel or add to the gospel if any gospel is preached other than what we have preached. Let him be accursed. So we don't get to customize the gospel. We don't get to play around with the gospel. We don't get to massage the gospel. 
And so there were efforts to corrupt the gospel by the evil one, even during the ministry of the apostles. So if they did it, if it happened then, what makes us think it's not going to happen today? <laughs> it does. It continues. Because this is the message, this is the body of truth that is absolutely necessary for humanity to know, to hear, in order to come to a right relationship with the living God. Otherwise, the re humanity remains in its condemnation. This message, with its clarity, with its comprehensiveness, with its accuracy, must be proclaimed. But Paul says, I have proclaimed the gospel. Now we can go back to the previous. I, I have, my, my purpose was to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, and I've done that from Jerusalem to Illyricum. But he says it doesn't stop there. There's a third purpose. And he says, that took a lot of time. Now, Paul, didn't, didn't, Paul was not able to do that uninterrupted because there were a few years where Paul spent in prison, right? Because of false accusations. And the only reason he had false accusations about him is because he was preaching the gospel. So he was in prison because of the gospel. So he didn't have uninterrupted travel, uninterrupted schedule to proclaim the gospel. He, he got that accomplished, he and his ministry team, even with the interruptions. Why? Because they taught people the, the extent of the gospel, the clarity of the gospel, and they continued to proclaim the gospel. There was a plan that flowed from that. But Paul says it doesn't stop there as he goes on in verses 20 and 21. He says this, that, that my passion under God is to take this gospel and proclaim it where Christ has not been named. Keep pushing forward. That's why Paul talked about he hoped to go to what we call today Spain. I, I want to get there. That was the furthest western edge of the Roman Empire. He says, I want to get there because there are people who have not, uh, among whom Christ has not been named. And I, we keep going. It wasn't Paul by himself. We keep going as a team. That's what he's talking about, verse tw verses 20 and 21. And so I have made it my aim, my purpose to what? Preach the gospel. Now he's refining it a little bit more. Not where Christ was named, lest I should be build on another man's foundation. So he started with the church in Rome. I'm proclaiming and tweaking so that uh, your understanding, fuller, more accurate understanding, and uh, more broadly to the Gentiles, Jerusalem to Illyricum. But he says we must keep going because there's lots of cities, lots of population centers where Christ has not been named, and we must keep going <clears throat> and with the same purpose to proclaim the gospel. Verse 21, as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see it. He says, this is what, this is what God has in plan, uh, planned, that those who, uh, to whom Christ, the Messiah, was not announced, they shall see. And Paul says, I understand that to mean that, among other things, that the message of Christ, the gospel of Christ, is to go everywhere. And we're not everywhere yet. Therefore, we must keep pushing the envelope. We must keep going. 
And those who have not heard shall understand. So you can't understand unless you hear. And you can't hear unless someone is there doing what? Telling you, proclaiming, explaining. That's what witnessing is all about. Proclaiming, opening our mouths, talking, explaining the great truths of the gospel. And so this is Paul's purpose. I exist to clearly proclaim the gospel of Christ. And for you in Rome to proclaim it to you, to help you have a fuller, broader understanding of the gospel, to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, and to continue to take it to the Gentiles, to places where his name has not been proclaimed. All about the clear proclamation of the gospel. Understanding purpose. We have heard it said, and rightly so, God has a purpose for your life. What does that mean? Let's go beyond the statement and begin probing. Not, not for the purpose of shooting down anything, but to say, let's go beyond it and say, okay, if God, since God has a purpose for us, what is that purpose? And it's actually purposes plural, because from the purpose flows purposes. But it's wrapped up in this great truth. This is God's purpose for believers to proclaim the gospel. Okay? So therefore, as we think about us as a local church family, we have made this statement. Uh, JBC exists to clearly communicate God's word to make and teach disciples. We're tr filtering that down, these truths down to us. Okay? And I want us to go another level. There, there, there's the level of a church family together, then there's the level of us individually before the Lord. But as a church family, this is what we have put together as, as our purpose statement. We exist here to clearly communicate God's word to make and teach disciples. And that drives a couple of other uh, statements that we have. We gather here to proclaim God's word. That's the teaching disciples. God has clearly revealed in his word that as we assemble together, his word is to be taught. We come together to hear the word of God, to be more fully equipped with the truths of the word of God. Therefore, each and every local church must have at the core of its ministry, at the core of what it does, the teaching of the disciples, of the believers, to more fully equip them with the truth. That's why we believe in expository teaching and preaching, the explaining of the text of God's word. Because that's what God uses to build us in the faith. We need to know it, and to know it, it needs to be explained. And so we, are, we gather to proclaim God's word. That's why we come together. And as, we, as God, Lord willing, blesses us in, in this local church ministry 
uh, grows, and, and we never want to become a megachurch, at least as the current leadership and people are involved. We're not looking to become a megachurch. We're looking to start other Bible churches. But as we grow, we're going to, this will be fleshed out even more. And so we're, in a, we're, we're at that next step phase and level. But this drives it. We're here to clearly communicate God's word to make disciples and teach disciples. And so as we gather, we gather to proclaim God's word, to equip us, to strengthen us, to, to broaden, deepen our understanding of what God has, says, has said. And then we go to proclaim God's word. That, that is a, a passion and a, a truth that we want to instill in our lives that as we go from here, we go as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ where we live life to proclaim His Word. Because there's people in our, each of our lives that none of us, none of the rest of us will ever come in contact with, but we are in contact with them. I'll illustrate that. Uh, you know that I, I do driving for Uber and Lyft. I interact with people in, in just this past week. I had a, a younger man in my car, and he says, do you believe in God? I, I did not initiate, I didn't, I didn't manipulate the conversation to have a spiritual conversation. Do you believe in God? Yes, I do. And then he began to go on and talk about some experiences he had in his life, and, and we ended up having a, a good and profitable conversation about it. I gave him my card, um, and uh, that's somebody that none of you will ever talk to. And I may not talk to him again either, but none of you will ever talk to him. But he was in my car, in my life, for those moments, and I got to talk to him. Now, it doesn't mean that I always talk. That's just an illustration. And again this week, I had uh, a young man ask me, what do you think about Islam? And uh, I said, I believe it's a false religion. And then that morphed into a discussion of God. And I had a discussion about with him uh, that went from believing what I understand and believe about the true and living God, that he's a triune God existing in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you say, well, you must have been talking to somebody who was a theologian. No, this guy was not a theologian. <laughs> and then honed in on the person of Jesus Christ and was able to, in a nutshell, express and, and declare those, the gospel to him. You're never going to talk to him. You're never going to meet him. But he was in my life for those moments. You see my point? All of us, all of us have people in our lives that we come in contact with, whether it's briefly or whether it's extended exposure, that none of the rest of us, for the most part, are going to even contact. That's why we stress 
going to proclaim God's word because that's the New Testament model. The New Testament model isn't primarily event-driven evangelism. That's included, but that's not the dynamic of witnessing and witnesses. It is taking the gospel with us where we are living life because we, we are cells of witnesses. It's a marvelous plan by God. You can stomp out events. It's a lot harder to stomp out cells. In Russia, our, our sister church is there. The government in 2016 wrote an anti-terrorism law. And built within that law are restrictions upon all the religious activity except for the Russian Orthodox. And it, there are real restrictions. And one of those restrictions deals with events that the non-Orthodox churches had been doing. Legitimate events up to that point. You know, go to a, a park in the summertime and set up a, a band and start singing songs. And then as people gather, you take that opportunity for open-air evangelism. And, and a number of public venue type of events that uh, prior to 2016 and after the fall of communism, that for that period of time they could be publicly engaging in. But now, in order for them to do anything like that, whether it's in a park or whether it's in a, a building or wherever it is, according to law, they have to go to the local governing official responsible for that and tell them what they want to do and sign, you know, fill in forms. And then with those forms, they have to explain what they want to do and who's doing it and when. I mean, all this detail, and it's there to put roadblocks. It's there to put hurdles in front of the non-Orthodox. And, and it works in the sense of they are hurdles. And so they, they focus, the, the part of it focuses on restraining, restricting, hindering, discouraging these events. But guess what they do? They take the gospel with them where they're living life. One of them explained it to me this way last summer. So, well, what do you do? And this is one of the guys who's uh, one of the leaders in the Christian Baptist Union, lives in Moscow. He said, well, what we've learned to do is... Uh, we, we are, get more engaged with the people in our apartments because most people in Russia live in high-rise apartments. And uh, we get to know them and just interact with them. And then as issues come up in their life, we begin to talk to them and say, well, you know, the Bible talks about that type of thing. Would, would you like to read the Bible and get together and talk about it? Yes, that's totally legitimate. They're not going to ban Bible reading. And so they, they get engaged in their life. Say the Bible talks about that. Can I give you a copy of the scriptures and give you some scriptures to read? And they read them. And then from that, not on every situation, not on every occasion, but progressively they, they see people open up. What is it? That sells. Cells of believers all over the place. 
It's a master plan by God. Because just with the church family this site, we're all over the place in Louisville. Not only where we live, but our going and coming, we're all over the place. We're cells of witnesses all over the place in Louisville. We don't have to depend upon events that we do periodically here, and, and we, we are doing some of those this year. But we don't have to depend upon that or even look upon that as the primary way of proclaim, going to proclaim God's Word because we're all cells of witnesses. What comes to mind are terrorist cells, but I don't want to make that equation. <laughs> but it's the same idea as far as being a cell. But cells of witnesses all over the place. I mean, I don't live in Mark's neighborhood. So he's a cell, you know, you guys are a cell there, a cell of witnesses. I don't know if you ever thought about it that way before, but you are. And that's true for all of us. Okay? So we go to proclaim God's word to make disciples. But it's all about the clear proclamation of the gospel. It's a, a lifelong passion and pursuit. Now, we can take this statement and reduce it down to the individual. Larry Duncan exists by God's grace to clearly communicate God's word, to make disciples, that's witnessing, and teach disciples, investing in other people's lives with the word of God. See, we need to bring it down to the particular. Now, we're not going to be the Apostle Paul who says, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I'm not an apostle to anybody because I'm not an apostle. And Paul understood that, that his ministry was primarily focused on and among the Gentiles, whereas Peter's was primarily among the Jews. We saw that in our first hour. And Paul had the responsibility of clearly explaining and unfolding along with others this glorious gospel. It's unfolded for us, our responsibility is to take what has been revealed and unfolded and communicate it clearly, accurately, with passion. So I want us to think about these truths and, and our purpose, and not only our purpose together, but our purpose individually. And the power that's in that. So Paul says, this is my purpose. In each of these sections, Paul says, it's clearly communicate the gospel. Communicate the gospel. Preach the gospel. These glorious truths, and they are glorious. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your great grace and mercy. We thank you for these marvelous truths by which we have been justified and which we are now being sanctified and changed and by these truths, by the Spirit of God using the Word of God to change our thinking, to change our affections, to change our priorities, to change our attitudes, uh, to change our pursuits. And Father, we're grateful that we can join together with other believers and mutually serve you 
and we're grateful that we can serve you right where we're at, where we live life. This is our purpose, to serve you. And to serve you through the proclamation, declaration of the gospel, in the manner and means that you want to accomplish that through each of us individually, as well as collectively. We thank you for these marvelous truths, Father. Help us to dwell on them. Help us to flesh them out by your grace, by the Spirit of God in our thinking, in our hearts. And may we grow as your servants. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This has been an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org.